Hello, this is the KOW Philly Soccer Show. I'm KOW's Greg Orlandini with Philly Soccer Page writer Mike Cervetio. This week, we delve into some recent legal issues in the world of soccer with local attorney Steve Holroyd. So we're taking a little break from talking about our Philadelphia Union because that's kind of where we're at in the season, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but, you know, it gives us an excuse to talk to our good friend, Mr. Steve Holroyd, attorney at large in the Philadelphia area, soccer historian. And uh, it's always great when we get a topic that prop up that's uh, that pops up that's uh, relevant and current and uh, to kind of the law and soccer and all of that. So and we have that. So I want to say hi to Steve. How are you tonight? Hey, good afternoon. It's uh, great to be with you guys. Blackpool's uh, near the top of League One, and, wow, we, ha- and we have an antitrust lawsuit to We're talk about. We're on our way. <laughs> We're on our way. Yes, let's talk about that. So uh, NASL, which... Uh, oh, I thought we were going to talk about Blackpool. Oh, we could talk about that, too. Uh, NASL, which uh, most of our listeners know, it's the uh, one of the other you know, uh, leagues we've talked about off and on before. It, it, it's kind of positioned itself at one point as to be, to be the second major. It's never quite been that. Uh, but they've kind of been the rogue league in U.S. soccer, if you will, and now they're uh, now they're taking that to court. So, uh, what's going on with that, Steve? Well, um, this is uh, this has been brewing for a while. What's going on is you know, the North American Soccer League, as you said, from the start, has tried to position itself as a, a rival D one league. You know, a different model, independent teams, independent owners, no salary caps, trying to provide an alternative to Major League Soccer, but they feel they've been thwarted at every step of the way because the United States Soccer Federation, uh, the entity that purports to govern professional soccer in this country, has always refused to grant D1 status. Uh, and and what really prompted this lawsuit was, while NASL has been floating around at D2 for the last couple of years, word came down last week that uh, USSF said, hey, guess what, now you're D3. And so basically, since a, a league that includes teams like a storied franchise like New York Cosmos um, and, 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 and teams in other larger cities, the concern is we'll die as D3. The perception is we'll, we are Mickey Mouse, we're minor. And, and the allegations being levied in this lawsuit, this antitrust suit, is essentially that MLS and the USSF have conspired uh, to uh, to basically compel the NASL to fail, to drive out competition. And uh, that's something that's against the law. It's, uh, there, there are laws, antitrust laws, that prohibit that very thing, and that's what the NASL is trying to do now. Well, I think the easy question is, are they trying to do that? Does it... Is it well, it, well, that's, I mean, that's a factual question, but I, so it's hard to answer. But, I mean, there's a fair inference... When, back in 2015, when the NASL had a, they put in a formal petition for D1 status, while the petition was pending, USSF uh, promulgated proposed revisions to the D1 standards that basically doubled all the criteria. Instead of 1 million fans, per, it had to be 2 million. Uh, it had to be, uh, you know, the stadium size, instead of 12,000, had to be at least 16,000. Uh, again, while a petition was pending... And and when things like that happen, yeah, it certainly does have one scratching their head, wondering, you know, why? Why would why would USSF do that if not to keep MLS from having competition? And of course, part of the equation, which is a big part of the lawsuit, 
is that it's not like MLS and USSF have an arm's length relationship. They're completely enmeshed and intertwined. You know, the, the president of USSF used to be deputy commissioner with MLS and used to work for one of the MLS teams. And, and MLS has, because of a weighted voting system, uh, even with only, you know, 22 teams, wherever they're at at this point, you think I'd know that, right, have like 57% of the voting share. So they essentially control USSF. Certainly, this isn't a total waste of time. This isn't like a frivolous, dare I say it, it's not like the Peter Novak lawsuit, which was frivolous, a waste of time, and an embarrassment. I mean, this. there are questions here that need to be resolved about just what role does a private, non-governmental, and indeed ultimately foreign entity have over the business practices of professional soccer in the United States? And that's kind of my next question. And U.S. soccer, for better or for worse, is the umbrella that everything operates under, more or less. So do they have the right to set a certain standard? I know uh, the FA and the Premier League, they set certain standards. I think when your team Blackpool came up, there were some stadium issues a, a few years ago that they had to take care of before they could be, uh, you know, Finally, finalized, accepted when they got promoted, you know, finalization when they got promoted to come in. I mean, and I think even this year with Brighton, there, there were some some issues because uh, they're a smaller team. So they had certain criteria they had to meet. So is U.S. soccer within the right to do these things? I think in, in the first instance, yes. I mean, if, if we're only talking about setting standards, I don't think there'd be a complaint. I mean, here, here's the standard. And if you meet it, you qualify. Uh, there wouldn't be a problem. But um, what happened 50 years ago and what's happening now is that the USSF is not merely setting a standard. They're then deciding who gets to qualify for that standard. In this case, it's alleged they're shifting the standard. The line keeps moving so they can keep competition away. And again, the thing that prompted this lawsuit, even though there are D2 standards and the USL, the other Division II league, has a number of teams that don't meet those standards and are being given waivers by the USSF. Again, allegedly because the USL is in, they have a nice relationship with MLS. They're not trying to challenge MLS. They want, they're happy to be their minor league. Those same waivers aren't being given to the North American Soccer League. So it's not so much a question of setting the standard. I think it's more a question of then deciding who's going to be licensed to meet that standard. Uh, the historian part of me wants to go into 1967, which is when this issue first popped up, because that's what happened there. You had three separate groups of leagues that wanted they were ready to do professional soccer, and the USSF, through FIFA's direction, said, look, we're only sponsoring one, and they only, they only sanctioned the one, and the other two were then outlaw leagues, which had consequences, and that led to the first antitrust suit filed basically uh, 50 years ago this month, in September of 67, um, uh, that raise all these same issues. You know, essentially what it comes down to is here in America where you know, it's supposed to be a free marketplace, the question becomes, who is this private entity to decide who's going to get the licenses to be able to, to participate? And by license, I mean, remember, when you're sanctioned, when you're part of the FIFA umbrella, you get to play Manchester United on foreign tours. You know, your players are eligible for the national team pool. When you're an outlaw league like the National Professional Soccer League was in 1967, you don't get to play those teams. And in 67, that was a huge deal because back then, the biggest source of revenue for pro soccer, whether it was the American Soccer League or the United Soccer Association, people weren't coming to watch the um, 
uh, you know, the uh, I'm trying to think of a, a USA team. People weren't necessarily coming to watch the Los Angeles Wolves, but when the Wolves sponsored a game between Manchester United and Barcelona, you know, the, the Coliseum was filled and they got and they, and, they, and they got the ticket sales. NPSL teams, like the Philadelphia Spartans here in town, they didn't have access to that. So there's a real consequence to being an outlaw league. In fact, as early as the 1920s, during the original soccer war we talk about all the time, 28 and 29, the American Soccer League was briefly an outlaw league. It was unsanctioned by the USSF. Um, and it continued to operate, but basically players were saying, well, you know, oh, this is an outlaw league now. Oh, you have to pay me more. And so it drove up the cost and everything else. And, uh, and so there's a consequence. So, again, it's not just, yeah, you can issue all the standards you want. They're a nice goal. Let's try to meet them. But then to say, well, you've met it. You haven't met it. I'm letting you in. I'm not letting you in. That's where the anti-competitive nature of things comes into play. So it's not being – it's not even, basically, is what you're saying. It's not – these standards are not being – Right, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not making it open to everybody. Right, basically, and, and and of course, in this case, it's being alleged the rules are shifting for D1, and who will get a waiver and who won't for D2 is is apparently depending on what league you're in. Mm-hmm. So, what's the what's the best option for NASL coming out of this? What's what's the best thing that can happen for them? Well, interestingly, all they're looking for right now is a preliminary injunction. Uh, and and also uh, ultimately a permanent injunction, but they're not looking for money damages right now, which is usually a big weapon in antitrust suits because there's trouble damages. What they, I think at this point, while they're generally complaining about the USSF and its licensing, its main concern right now is they're desperate to shed the D3 label. I think as far as whether it'll stay in business another year, they're really concerned that if they're labeled D3, which in the soccer marketplace, carries a stigma. I mean, you're basically double-A at that point. You're not even triple-A anymore. They're afraid they're going to lose franchises. Either they will jump to the USL, like Ottawa and Tampa Bay did last year, or they'll just fold up shop. Um, I think, really, their, their main goal is survival. And the way to accomplish that is by getting an injunction saying, there are no more labels. There are no, there's no more D1, there's no more D2, there's no more D3. They're just soccer leagues, and let the marketplace decide who's major and who's not. Mm-hmm. Do they stand a chance to get that, do you think? Well, it's um, to get a preliminary injunction, they're very hard to get, and, and deliberately so. I mean, basically, a preliminary injunction is the court saying, you've won before there's even a case. You're stopping someone from doing that which they might otherwise have the legal right to do while the case is being played out. And it's a really high standard. And the main standard is you have to show likelihood of success on the merits. Now, um, Antitrust is complex. Antitrust law, as it applies to sports, is even more complex because sports leagues, by their very nature, tend to be monopolies. I mean, it's, it's how they function. Um, so they, you have to get over the, the likelihood of success on the uh, merits angle. You basically have to be able to convince a court, look, I'm so right, give me the relief I'm seeking now and we'll worry about it later. And part two is they have to show irreparable harm. Now, irreparable harm is never just money. Like, for instance, if you were fired from your job, and you think it was done unlawfully, you, you, you can't go running into court and seeking an injunction, even if you're right. Even if it's like, yeah, I have it on record. They said they fired me because of my union activity, whatever. Um, a clear violation of the law. Then you need to show irreparable harm. And the fact that you're out of money, you're not being paid, that's never enough because money damages can always make you whole. You have to show something more irreparable. And in, in the North American Soccer League's case, I think their argument is 
if we are labeled D3, we're going we're gonna to fold because franchises are going to split. We're not going to have a working business model because, again, in the eyes of the public, in the eyes of the soccer market, um, we're not legitimate anymore. We are less than minor, and we're going to fold. So uh, that's what they're seeking to do. The like, uh, but but you know the 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 sixty four thousand dollar question is, are they right on the merits? The complaint, while sometimes veering into hysteria, nevertheless paints a, an interesting picture. I mean, some of the things they're alleging really did happen. Again, the proposed changes in D one standards while a petition was pending, the giving USL additional time for its teams to meet the D2 criteria while you summarily cut off the NASL because you've concluded, well, you, you don't look like you're making progress. Um, it, it, and again, all being done by a private entity without any force of law, which is one of the issues in the case I guess we'll get to. It, it, it's certainly going to give the uh, the district court judge out in Brooklyn something to think about. Um. So what's U.S. U.S. Soccer's the USSF and what is their end on this? What what uh, we we talked about? You know they're intermeshed with the USL and MLS. You know through you know these obvious connections and USL and MLS are now connected. You know you see it right here with the Bethlehem Steel and all that. So uh, what's their best case scenario coming out of this? Well, I think their best case scenario, and I don't know if they would get this in the context of. Uh, the whatever hearing is held to entertain the preliminary injunction. But USSF's best scenario would be a conclusory finding that the USSF slash FIFA setup is not violative of antitrust, sort of like what MLS got during the Frazier lawsuit. Now, that was a slightly different antitrust angle because it was the players bringing it, and the court in that case dismiss claims saying, no, players can play anywhere. The players could go to USL. The players could go overseas. This is a little different because we're talking franchises. But this is not the first time that someone has attacked the USSF on antitrust grounds. It first happened in 67 when the National Professional Soccer League, the the outlaw league, sued USSF and FIFA and and, and everyone, and that led to a merger. In 1969, an individual club, the California Clippers, who had split from the NASL to go independent, they alleged they were being squeezed out by USSF and the NASL by not being allowed to play games against big-time international competition like Moscow Spartak and things like that. Um, uh, and they settled, you know, because at that point they just didn't want to run a soccer team anymore, so they took their money and went home. And even though there really are no documents, you know, today you can look at a current lawsuit, you go on a thing called Pacer, and you can pull up all the pleadings and everything. You didn't have that in 67, 68, 69. So you have to rely on you know, uh, contemporary coverage. And, and, the, and the coverage at the time, it said the judges in those cases were expressing real uh, problems with the FIFA USSF model, which is why it prompted settlement. The most recent attack was in 06. Champions World, Charlie Stolitano's group that does those, the International Cup tournaments with, you know, Man U playing Barcelona, playing whomever. He brought suit saying, hey, USSF is conspiring with MLS to squeeze me out because they want to run these things instead of me. But there for the first time, the USSF had a defense that wasn't available in 67 or 69. In 1978, I think it was, it's the Stevens Act. I forget the more formal name, but basically the government allowed in amateur sports for the Olympics, 
allowed certain already existing groups, gave them the authority to govern amateur sports for their various respective sports. So I guess, you know, the AAU got control of basketball, whatever. And, and the USSF was recognized as the authority for amateur soccer, for the Olympics and, and what have you. In the Champions World suit, the USSF argued that the Stevens Act also conferred that authority onto the USSF for professional soccer. And from what uh, there's, um, there's, a, there's a book out there, and forgive me, the title case, but there's a good book that talks about a couple of soccer cases. And, and that book reports that the court rejected that argument but didn't make a finding on that argument because ultimately the Champions World case got kicked out on a technicality. Charlie had signed something saying he'd go to arbitration, and there's something called exhaustion of remedies or whatever. So he got kicked out, but they never got to the merits. But in this case, I think the best case, that, that background was necessary to get to give you a real simple answer. USSF's best case scenario would be they're going to get a definitive finding saying there's nothing wrong with this model. There's nothing wrong with the USSF running professional soccer, issuing these quote licenses. And having and setting these standards and, 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 and adhering to them, and they have the sole authority over who who gets granted and who doesn't, and that's it. Don't ever bother us again. That way, they'll, they'll they will never look over their shoulders ever again. Right. The in between scenario is just the court saying, "I'm denying the preliminary injunction," because that will probably the effect. The NASL will go out of business. The merits of the case won't be heard for ten years. They'll probably give up for some peppercorn settlement. They'll, they'll take some money and go home, and USSF gets to live another day. So, and I think we talked about this, a little bit about this last time you we were on, and uh, you being the sports historian that you are, you know, we had the ABA and WHA, who were these renegade, renegade second majors that ultimately merged with the NHL and the NBA to the betterment of the sport overall. Is the, it, it, you know, is there's just too much bad blood at this point to ever see an NASL uh, MLS merger? No, I, I don't think. No, I don't think it's a question of bad blood. Um, uh, and, and of course, if you're losing, if you're MLS and USSF, and you're losing, um, and you realize that a lot of these guys would be happy to get into the. You know, they're complaining about the system now, but if they were on the inside, they'd be right. happy with it. The... No, this. I think you know, if if it turned out this case had legs, um, I would not be at all surprised if you saw a merger. Um, it's a question of whether the, whether the case has legs. I mean, in in 67, notwithstanding whatever bad blood was out there, the merger was accomplished because neither league was making money. So it was stupid to compete with against one another and defend this lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Let's just merge. You know, with the NBA and the WHA, which, by the way, we all call mergers, but technically they were expansions because of these very, because of these very antitrust reasons. They yeah. call them an expansion. But that was driven more by the market. They were competing against one another. Uh, you know, the WHA and NBA and ABA uh, blew up the reserve clause to a point, but they were never going after the other league for antitrust reasons. In the end, they merged because of the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more, the most famous, I guess, recent example of a sports antitrust suit was the one that was spearheaded by now President Donald Trump when he's with the USFL, which had a nice little niche as a spring football league. But uh, uh, Donnie and some other owners decided they wanted to be NFL owners without paying the exorbitant NFL expansion fees, they filed an antitrust suit that they ultimately won, but their goal was purely 
merging and hoping they get such a, an oppressive uh, damage amount because again, antitrust is treble damages. Mm-hmm. So in theory, if they won one billion in the case, uh, one one billion in the case becomes three billion, it would force the NFL to the table. Well, in Donnie's case, um, you know they won, but they only got a dollar. Right. Which became the three. Which became three dollars. <laughs> and I'm sure if Twitter was around at the time, Trump would have tweeted it was a huge win, was huge. <laughs> but uh, but the reality was it didn't get him anywhere. So right. so no. But the, no, I, if if it looks like the NASL is winning, then you're more likely to see overtures right. for for merger. If they're not, and the, uh, then MLS is going to be able to sit tight because they have the D1 status. They're making the money. Right. They're in the catbird. They'll suit. fall apart. NASL, NASL could fall apart, and MLS could swoop in and say, "Take the Cosmos Dan, which I think is something they've wanted for a while, off and on, and or the Rowdies or something like that. Um, there's the other issue floating around, separate from this. Uh, we talked a little bit about it off mic, which is happening in the uh, court of uh, arbitration for sports. That uh, yeah, yeah, and it and we I we have avoided this topic. For the seven years we've been doing this podcast, and the topic is promotion or relegation, but I guess we're going to have to talk about that a little bit because hey, you're here, and you know I want to take take advantage of your all of your talents. Can I, can I abstain for the for the for my own Twitter uh, feed? Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, um, coward. <laughs> but, hey, you do enough fighting for all of us. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> man. You, you fight, you fight the good fight. Thanks, thanks you, for it. You fight the good fight out there, Steve. But uh, but that's the issue, basically. And it's uh, uh, his name's escaping me. But the guy from the owns the Miami yeah, Silva from, was it Silva? Yeah, Silva from the uh, uh, and and the other and team. Crowley from uh, Stockade, which right. is in a different. And league. that's kind of the separate, but uh, it's separate, but it's not because you're, you're talking about divisions. You're talking about you know opening the market up more you're talking about so i, I there's separate cases but i get it, it's they're intertwined in a way aren't they yes and no i mean what what the by going to arbitration arbitration is a creature of contract it's uh, um uh, the parties have to voluntarily agree uh and, and so what it was an individual team as you point out it was one individual team from the nasl and one individual team from the npsl Bringing charges to FIFA, saying, "Hey, FIFA, the USSF is not following your own rules," because they claim that the FIFA statutes require promotion and relegation. And what it comes down to is just a you know Nietzsche once had a great quote about bad readers, people that see what they want to see, disregard the rest, and and, and that's what the pro relics out there do. There's a line in uh, Article Nine, whatever it is, it talks about. Uh, sporting merits nice, and we want promotion and relegation, but it, it's it's not the only option. And there's a second paragraph that talks about, oh, however, you know, if if you have another system in place, you could go with that. It, it basically sanctions closed leagues. Professor Stephen Bank did a wonderful law review article on the subject, saying, you know, if you look at like legislative intent, given the fact that at the time that clause was passed, Australia, India, the United States, there were plenty of closed leagues extant. And it was so. It appears that's what that's that's what they were referring to. Long story short, the arbitrate the the arbitration case is trying to get FIFA to enforce its own internal rules, and that's it's going to be a waste of time. I mean, you know, the, the people are just crazy if they think it's going anywhere. <laughs> the lawsuit's different because even though ProRel is is somewhat referenced in the complaint, um, that's not really what the NASL is looking for. Uh, quite the opposite, and the NASL just wants to shed the labels. And let the market determine what's D1 and D2. And uh, you know, they're not looking for any pyramid. They're not looking for an open pyramid. They're not looking to 
to force, uh, nor could they under antitrust law. So it's really two separate cases because one's, one's raising a claim under U.S. law, which is the province of the courts. Um, again, unless the parties have signed some kind of internal agreement to arbitrate, and I've heard there's some, there's some rumors that, you know, that uh, maybe that was done, so world court force the NASL to try to arbitrate this. With antitrust, I'm not so sure. But the, the, but the, the CAS case, that's, that's going after an internal rule. That's purely FIFA's responsibility. It's not, a court's, it's not the court's role any more than it is in my world with a labor contract. I mean, if a, if a collective bargaining agreement is being violated, you know, with very, except in the most limited of circumstances, I can't go to a court and say, hey, they're violating my contract. The court's going to say, not my business. It's not the law. It's a contract. You know, mm-hmm. and, and you agreed to arbitration. Go arbitrate. So it really is two separate tacks. Uh, tactics, tracks, uh, you know, the fact that, I mean, uh, the silver went and did this on his own without the rest of the NASL, you know, makes one wonder what was going on again. And he, and he teamed up with another right. owner from a different league. But uh, again, that was on its own track. Clearly, even though this lawsuit was sitting in, uh, in, in, uh, in Jeffrey Kessler, he's the attorney for the league. Uh, it was sitting in his computer for the last two years. If you read it, it's clearly, he had it ready to go in 2015. Um, he only filed it now because, again, the, the, the D3 designation is something that really has the North American Soccer League thinking it's going to kill us. So uh, that's uh, – but, no, the two can probably exist totally right. in complete harmony. And, but the irony would be you have a situation where the ar- let's, the arbitration may win, the and then FIFA's – so now FIFA's going to order the USSF to go to pro-rel – but then the lawsuit's going to say, actually, the USSF has no authority to do anything, and now you're back to the Wild West, <laughs> which is what, I mean, quite honestly, for all the Cosmos bluster, and they love that. They just want to be, they, they're not interested in getting relegated. No right. no businessman is interested in getting relegated. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't want to understand it. Look, pro roll would be great. It's very exciting. It would add a level to uh, soccer that none of the other sports have. It would separate. But it's just never going to happen because... You know, like here in Philly. I mean, the union would fold. Sugarman would fold the franchise because he'd probably get more money in the tax write-off right. than letting it drop in value by being D2 and selling. I mean, it's Ar- not, not going to work that way. Ar- Arthur Blank, yeah. you know, who came in with Atlanta, has no interest to drop yeah. into the USL. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's not on the table. It's not on, it wasn't on the table when he came in. And, and you know, I think gone are the days that the, uh, you know, that the country gentlemen were running the teams in England and you had these board of directors that all lived in the city. I mean, gone are those days, I think. And it's just a different world. And, you know, you know, and promotional allegation is great and it's fun to watch from afar, but I don't know if it, it could operate properly well, plus, here. You know, how's this for a little stealth? I mean, let's go to Blackpool. Yeah. <laughs> Blackpool made it to the premiership in a substandard stadium size wise, but you know, they probably got relegated. And the owners there stopped putting money into it. They took the parachute payments from the premiership, the TV money, and they they were down the league too last year. I mean, the fourth division in the space of like six years, right. because the because the owner was putting no money into it, and and so it was left to die on the vine. And the fans suffered. You know, to an extent, we have that here in Philly. All right, Sugarman's not putting any money into the team either. But at least I get to watch real teams coming into PPL right. when I bother to go to the stadium, which is less <laughs> frequent these days. You know, and and TV money, you'll still get TV money because NBC or ESPN or whomever, uh, Fox, they'll be happy to pay for a league that's got teams in these markets. But, you know, can you imagine an MLS where 
the New York, L.A., and Philadelphia teams were in D2. Um, right. But, hey, I'm, I'm going to get – I have Indy 11. Well, that's going to drive the ratings, right? <laughs> it's, just, it's just never going to happen here. Right. And you know Bolton too. Bolton's another team that were there was. Pretty... There's a whole list of teams. Yeah, I mean Bolton, Bolton, Fulham. I mean, Bolton, Bolton I mean even you're talk solid. Union guys. Leighton Orient did that yeah. just just recently, and, uh, and they just uh, got relegated out of the football yeah, league. That's right. right. They got bounced. Yeah. Yep. Bolton was a very solid Premier League team for a while. For a while, Blackburn. Blackburn won the yeah. won the Premier League. Yep. At, you know, at one point, and. You know some bad moves by their ownership, and they tumbled down the league. Yeah, Wigan tumbled down the league. Yeah, Leeds United, which was yeah. like, you know the '60s and early '70s, the well, you know the, the, the premier team. Yeah, of, I mean, of, the most famous. I mean, yeah. their their starting lineup was all internationals. The team was so good and so deep, and because of some gross financial mismanagement, they were down to like the League Three at one point. Yeah. They're in the championship again, but yeah, but they, they haven't been they in top. Break they out. haven't been in top flight football for about twenty some years, right? Now. And they can't, they can't break out. You know, Nottingham Forest, who's yeah. a European you know winner, yeah. and that, they they can't break out. So, yeah, it, it's it's it would be fun <laughs> in, in a vacuum for it to happen, but it, it, I just think it's the financial situation is just really difficult. Uh, so, before we get rid of you, Steve, <laughs> uh, your expertise is in uh, labor law, and I think we're still a couple years away from any kind of. Is it two? Yeah, I, I it's sooner it, than you think. It's yeah. surprisingly, it's coming because up on us. It appears twenty twenty. I think it's twenty twenty. Because you you know the contract may be up in two years, but you as you know you know you start making maneuvers to negotiate you know year eighteen months before that because you don't want to be you know at D Day with you know nothing going on. Um, it's kind of consensus the the union and talking players union here. The players union didn't do themselves a lot of favors in the last. They did not cover themselves in yeah. glory. No. Uh, <laughs> Is it is it too late for them? Not, no. not to be dramatic. No, no, but. it's no, it's not. I mean, when, uh, we had a really nice podcast. You know, going back was it twenty thirteen? Whatever yeah. it was, we did this yeah, last yeah, summer. Yeah. Um, when we talked about, well, they're running the risk. I mean, MLS was riding high at the time. NYCFC was coming in, what have you? Um, and there was two ways it could go. We could either continue to grow, which would put the players in even better footing next time out. Or it might peak and collapse, and that means they missed their opportunity. They appear to have gotten lucky in the sense that the league is still growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's you know the expansion is still riding high. The, the crowds are getting bigger. The TV money is getting bigger. So, uh, which means there's much more at stake for the owners. So, as it turns out, they're probably in better shape for 2020 to draw the line, finally hold the ground for what they want. Uh, which I, at this point, I have to guess would be. be uh, increased salary cap, mm-hmm. um, full free agency, and although it didn't get talked about a whole lot last time, I would think like first class air travel. You know, the, oh, the travel that's, that's you would the, hope that uh, would be yeah. on the table. I mean, right? that yeah. that's on the lips of everybody. Jim yeah. Kerr, I mean, Jim Kerr, yeah. Bruce Arena yeah. talked about when he was still with LA. Uh, you know, but it didn't come up. But surprisingly, it didn't come up much yeah. last time. It was all about free agency, free agency, free agency. And now you have more people of means in the league. You have an art plank. Who's who's you know very well. You, you have the crafts. I mean, uh, I, I think they know they know they own the revs. I'm pretty sure they're aware. <laughs> I think it comes I up don't on think the, so. it comes up on their accounting sheet. You now this is a rounding error. What's this revolution? <laughs> so, but just a joke out there. Um, but you you have owners of means in this league. You have the the you know the Sheikh Mansours and and why that you can have chartered flights. And we talked about it. Uh, Mike and I, and kind of at length about just 
you know, we, we complain about the union or a terrible road team. There's a lot of terrible road teams in this league. And that's one of the things I think you could point to is that, you know, the union had uh, about a month ago, they had a plane, I think going to Toronto. Toronto yeah. They, they had to take like a red eye to get yeah. there because it was, it was canceled because of weather. And, and situations like that. I mean, do the New York Yankees put up with something like that? No. <laughs> do you know? Uh, does you know Manchester United put up with things like that? No. Uh, so you know MLS, if they, I mean, they're taking a lot of steps, but that could be a thing that you know the average fan doesn't think about, doesn't see that they can do. That will take make a big step, and it would be great if it comes from the the players if they could push for that. Right. And that's and again, one of the things we talked about last time was. You know, if the players went on strike, you you had a um, you could see a rift developing in MLS. There was the Hunts and the Crafts, mm-hmm. and I guess although he wasn't there at the time, he spends like a 1.0 owner Sugarman versus the new owners. But you know, with the Mansours, blank, you know the 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 LAFC guys, you think are going to be um, motivated? Where you know if the if the players held out, then you might cause a rift within the ranks because you have NYFC wants to be a big brand. They may right. not want to be tied by salary caps and Mickey Mouse accommodations, which must must make it difficult to get players to come over. I mean, the travel's bad enough. We heard that back in NASL 1.0. Right. You read those old articles like I do when you do this research, and everyone's like, oh, I never expected the travel to be so bad. Well, that hasn't changed, and you're one step above buses. Right. You know? uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, as it turns out, the players got lucky and, and the landscape's even better for labor action in 2020 mm-hmm. than it was a couple of years ago. You know, it's just the question becomes, will they do it? Because we won't get into the weeds now. I'll save it for another podcast. But the players, the players union still has all the same problems they had back then in that American. And I'm not turning. I'm trust me. I'm not trying to go down Trump's road. I'm not making this a foreign versus American thing. But the fact is, you know, for an American player, what is underpaid and what is you know, quote, primitive travel conditions to some of these players from Caribbean nations or whatever, it's the lap of luxury. So yeah. they're, they're, this is the best paycheck they're ever going to receive. Where's their motivation to strike? It was the same problem the original NASL had back when it went out in 1979. Um, and, and it's a problem that the current players union is going to have if they try to do a job action. But, you know, the best strike is the one you don't have to have. And now that the owners have more at risk, I guess they could they thought back in 20. 13 uh, or 15, whatever it was, that, oh, you know, there's really not, there's not much to lose here because there's not a whole lot of money in it yet. We're all sort of just treading water. Now there's real money. And so a job action is going to hurt MLS. And if they know that, they might be motivated to put money on the table. Indeed, as we, with the sudden appearance of TAM, right. three months after the contract was signed, uh, it turns out they had money all along. They were just shocked the Players Union caved as quickly and easily <laughs> as it did. So maybe the players have learned that. And 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 uh, and yeah, we'll see some stu- substantive change, probably in free agency, probably in the salary cap, hopefully in the in the travel arrangements, because that's really where it's it's it, 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 like you were pointing out, it wears on you and it affects the quality of the product. Oh, oh absolutely, and, and not again, not to get too much in the weeds. Did you see the Marvel Wind story about his? Uh, uh, he was he had the health issue, the heart issue. Thought he was coming back. Had a doctor say he was coming back. Then a league doctor said, "No, you can't." Then the the league being the single entity pulled his salary and it became a situation where I think he's with he was with Colorado uh, I think he's, I forget where he's at now but the team was trying to find other ways to pay him because you know he lost his salary so that's another labor issue but 
does the is the days of the single entity going to go away anytime soon or probably not? Yeah, I mean, probably not because the, 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 the I think the union's happy to work around it mm-hmm. if because I mean, practically speaking, the single entity is less relevant now that there is a CBA. It was right. primarily installed so they can have things like a salary cap, which is antitrust with, with, in the absence of union agreement. Mm-hmm. Union agreements is a limited exemption. We don't need to get into. But now that there's a CBA. Yeah, other than, okay, fine, the league owns the contracts, and it does affect, like, allocation. So if a player who's not in the league, the U.S. national, if Pulisic wanted to come home and play for the union, he's not necessarily going to get that choice because he might have to go through the allocation and it belongs to someone else. You know, well, they they can attack that through the contract. They don't don't need to go after single entity anymore. And besides, they they took that shot in 02, and they lost. So, uh you know, so at this point, they might as well just continue to do what they've been trying to do, which is fix it through collective bargaining. Can, well, I, can I ask one question before we go? Off this? I, going back to the NSL, NASL lawsuit, so I'm an average union fan. I don't pay too much attention to NASL right now. I don't care about the Cosmos. What is the best case scenario from that lawsuit in terms of the way it affects the soccer landscape? That's a good question. I mean... You know, there's a part of me that thinks that if um, the uh, the labels, if the divisional assignments are blown up, uh, which means now you're only D1 if you pay and look like you're D1 because the marketplace is going to decide. There might be a situation where now, you know, Sugarman's got to compete uh, you know, with the Cosmos, with some of these other teams. He needs to look major league. He can't continue to be a bottom feeder in MLS because it's going to make him look cheap when there's other teams not that far away and certainly available on TV who are spending, you know, if you get a situation where now that there's a value to looking like D1, will the Cosmos go out and spend like the original Cosmos? Well, now they're, you know, they look good and you, the union, look like Bethlehem Steel and steroids. I mean, that, that so the good thing might, it might be it force, it'll either force him to get out of the game um, because now some of the protections he was enjoying are lost, and now it's too expensive, so he'll sell now rather than later, or he'll start spending money to protect his investment. That's probably the best-case scenario. The worst-case scenario would be if the designations are blown up, again, he's going to throw up his hands, and, and while he probably wouldn't be allowed to fold the franchise because MLS has control over that, um, he might put in less money than ever. He might say, you know, so I'm just going to let this die on the vine until MLS forces me out, and, and uh, but I'm not going to put any more of my money or iStar's money or whomever into it, uh, and, and so things could actually get worse. Um, uh, so, it, but it, it, it is. It's an interesting question for a Philadelphia Union fan. What's this lawsuit involving a different league going to? What's it got to do with me? Um, and it's uh, it's hard to say. But it's like anything else. Could be really good. Could be really bad. And I think on that note, we will wrap it up. Uh, Steve, always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, if people want to see your musings on Twitter, where can they follow It's you? now, I, I've changed my handle a couple months ago. It's at Soccer Maven, Soccer yeah. M-A-V-N. Gotcha, Soccer Maven. So uh, Steve Holroyd, local attorney extraordinaire, <laughs> joining us again. I want to thank you very much uh, for uh, for hanging out with us well, tonight. Always a pleasure, always fun. And uh, we'll, everybody, uh, catch uh, catch us next week.